Good morning. Welcome to Parkview Church, and happy 4th of July. It's so good to see you here on our Independence Day. Uh, it's so good to be worshiping with you all this morning. We are here this morning to glorify God and to build up one another as we proclaim God's word and respond to him together. Uh, we glorify him by lifting up truths about him, by singing praises to his name, devoting our entire beings to him. And then we build up one another as we remind each other of truths, encouraging one another. Singing is an act of discipleship as we remind each other of the gospel each Sunday as we gather here together. And so, as you may know, uh, we are uh, studying the fourth commandment this morning, uh, the, call, the Lord's call for us to observe the Sabbath rest. And so, uh, I thought it would be fitting this morning to begin our time with a psalm of the Sabbath, Psalm 92. So will you stand as the Lord calls us to worship from his word this morning? It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. And so we serve a wonderful Lord, a Lord who has brought us into freedom, into new life. This, this fourth commandment is rooted in this freedom from slavery that the people of Israel have been given. And just, just as so as we ha can experience this deliverance of the Lord from darkness into his wonderful, glorious day. So let's proclaim these truths together. Now 
Each and every one of us is in need of rescue. We serve a mighty deliverer. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. Cause when you call my name, then I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness into your glorious day. You call my Amen. You can take a seat. Good morning. I'm Greg Hansen newly elected chair of the elder board here at Parkview Church. I thought I would take a brief moment to introduce myself before I lead us in a time of prayer. My wife Maria and I have been attending Parkview since 2011. We have two children, Elizabeth who's 16 and Peter who's 13. Now before we move to prayer, I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that beyond COVID, our church has been through a lot over these last 15 months or so. Many of us are weary and hurting. The elders know this, and I want you to know that we are here for you. We are striving to return to a place of stability, health, a place where people encounter Christ, where they will come to know and trust and love God, where disciples are made, and where above all, God is glorified. So I encourage you to, to stand fast, to pray and to take heart. The Lord is moving at Parkview Church. So as we move to a time of prayer this morning on this 4th of July Sunday, I'm reminded of last year's 4th of July, one that kind of didn't really happen. Things that we had all taken for granted as routine, they were radically changed or downright canceled. Now as people start to return to normal, there's a quick realization that normal isn't what it used to be. People are coming out of this COVID time and facing pressures to perform, to succeed, to reinvent themselves, to try to get ahead of the other guy. But it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it's not supposed to be that way. God didn't create people just to have them live cutthroat, painful, meaningless lives as slaves to the culture trying to get ahead. We were created in his image to worship and glorify him.
The passage we will be studying today focuses on the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And along with that commandment is a reminder to his people that the Lord delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and brought them into new life. He is still our deliverer today. He delivers us out of sin, out of the slavery of the culture, and into new everlasting life in Christ. So let's turn to the Lord in prayer now, acknowledging him for how awesome he is, for how we bring nothing to the table because of our sin, yet he still pursues us and offers us reconciliation back to him through Jesus. Let's thank him for that gift of Christ, and then let's ask him to move in a mighty way in our church, our community, and our world. Will you pray with me? Father, you are holy. We lift up the name that is above all names, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Father, we come to you acknowledging and praising your holiness and also acknowledging our own flaws and our own sin. Lord, forgive us for the times that we try to insert ourselves and our agenda into your righteous place. Forgive our prideful hearts. Lord, we humbly ask that you forgive us for the times that we have sinned against you. And Father, while we don't deserve it, your holy word tells us that while we were still sinners, your son Jesus Christ died for us. Father, we can only express joyful thanksgiving for your amazing gift of grace. And now, as saved sinners, we lift up these prayers of supplication to you. Lord, we pray for this church. Father, be with our elders as we humbly seek your will. Help us to shepherd well, to listen well, and to lead well. Lord, we lift up our pastors and our staff. They have shouldered many challenges, and so, Lord... We pray for strength. Renew them in their heart for their ministries. Pray that we as a church can come alongside them and support them. Lord, we pray for this congregation. Help us to come together as one, unified for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to support one another, encourage one another, and prefer one another in love. Help us to heal. And Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for opportunities to seek the welfare of our city. We pray for those who are desperately trying to figure out life post-COVID. Lord, we pray that they will not fall back into slavery, but will instead seek you, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, on this 4th of July, we thank you for the amazing freedoms we experience in this country. We thank you, Lord, for those who have gone before us and have fought to protect those freedoms. Father, we pray for our leaders in this country. We pray for your intervention in their lives and their decisions. We pray that we as a country will recognize things that do not give you glory and help us then turn away from those things. And finally, Heavenly Father, we pray for our world. Scripture tells us that someday there will be a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Lord, protect those whom you have sent out into the world to share the good news of Jesus. Give them clarity of thought and language when they engage with others. Lord, share your abundant provision with them. Provide above and beyond their every need. And Lord, we ask that you work on the hearts of those who will hear the truth so that many, many more will be added to that great multitude. 
Now, Lord, please be with us as we continue on in our worship service. Be with our worship team as they lead us in a time of praise and thanksgiving. Be with Pastor Fern as he teaches us from your word today. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to pray directly to you, the creator and sustainer of all things. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Greg. So let's, let's continue that act of dependence on the Lord, act of trusting in him, resting in him. Uh, will you stand as we pray these wonderful words to prepare our hearts for the preaching of his word, that he would mold us, shape us, speak to us today. His words are the words of eternal life. So let's celebrate. Let's, let's pray these truths.
Church. Well, good morning. My name is Doug, one of your pastors. It's a joy to be able to worship with you all this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I sure hope that you do, I'd invite you to take it out and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 5. As has been said several times, we are um, going through a series this summer on the Ten Commandments, on the Ten Commandments. And so it's my great privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you all this morning and consider the Fourth Commandment. Just quickly as we recap, the, the previous three commandments that we've looked at, the first commandment we saw that God is concerned with the object of our worship. He's concerned with the object of our worship. He wants to be the sole source of our worship. There's no room, there's no place for replacements or substitutes. There is one God and we are to treat him as such. And the second commandment we saw that God is concerned, yes, with the object of our worship, but he's also concerned with how, the how of our worship. How do we approach him? That we are to approach him in a way that he has prescri prescribed according to his word, not through the worship of images as replacements for the one true God or as a means by which we worship the one true God. Okay, so he's concerned with our object of our worship and the approach, the how of our worship. Last week, we considered the name of God, the name of God and how we are to treat the name of God with reverence, how, how we, we are to take God's name seriously, not just in our speech, but with all of our lives. And, and what we'll see with these first five commandments especially is that as we go through them, ultimately what God is trying to do through his people in and through his people is cultivate a heart where they are longing and, and loving and ascribing worship and praise to God. The first five are, are, in, are instructing us on how to worship God, okay? What we'll see this week is that we're gonna get pretty practical. God's gonna do some meddling, specifically with the use of our time, the use of our time. The fourth commandment, he's concerned with how we use our time. So, let's look at it together. Deuteronomy chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, which I, or 12 through 15, which I'll read now. I know you just got comfortable. I know you did. But I'm about to read from God's word. And so if you're able to, I would invite you to stand as I read this. This is the word of the Lord. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey 
or any of your livestock or the, or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we consider this word, which we know to be your word, um, we know it is eternal. We know that it is true, Lord. And uh, we ask that you would take your word right now and that you would write it on our very hearts that you would use your word to shape us, to form us, that we might be the people that you have designed, have created us to be, Lord, for your glory and for your praise. Lord, help me to be faithful to this text. Lord, and I pray that your spirit right now would help us to lean in to what you have for us this morning. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, in Greek mythology... There's an individual, a king by the name of Sisyphus. Maybe some of you are familiar with Sisyphus. I'm going to try to say his name as few times as I possibly can, okay? But this individual was particularly good at the art of deception. In fact, he was guilty of cheating death twice, two times. And as a result, he was punished to the underworld for eternity. And his punishment, I'm glad you asked, his punishment was unique Sisyphus's punishment was to roll a, ma a massive boulder up a hill, to, to push it with all his might and all his energy up a hill. And, and he strived and labored with all of his strength to, to push this, this boulder up the hill as it would approach the top of the hill, the boulder would roll back down. Sisyphus would wake up the next day and he would essentially rinse and repeat. Do the exact same thing. Laboring with all of his might to push the boulder up to the top of the hill just to watch it fall back down the next day. Do it over and over again for eternity. This was his punishment. Now you and I hopefully we'll never be finding ourselves in a similar situation where we are constantly pushing a massive stone up a hill. Odds are that's not our reality, okay? But my guess is that you and I can relate in sort of maybe a different way. Finding ourselves in the midst of a job or, or work or labor that seems like it will just never stop. For me, a good example would be just in our house with um, five beautiful children. Uh, what we find over and over again is a job that is kind of like Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill is doing dishes. You know what I mean? Is anybody, if you got kids, you, you know what I'm talking about. You find yourself cleaning the dishes. The dishes are clean. They're, they're washed. They're dried. They're put away. And then two hours later, you turn around and there's 27 bowls and 32 cups spewing out of the sink right? 
and you walk into the kitchen completely beside yourself. What is going on in this house? Why are we consuming so much food? You know what I'm saying? Over and over and over, doing dishes just never ends. Another one, if I were to think of maybe even a, a more personal one for me in our home, is this may sound weird, so just hang with me, but is turning off light switches. I find myself at just any point of the day walking around the house constantly shutting off. Who in their right mind turned on five lights in this room? It's 12 o'clock in the daytime. You don't need any lights on. You know what I'm saying? Over and over and over. Never ending. T constantly turning off light switches. Just even feeding these children is laborious and exhausting. I, I, I find myself just thinking, do we have to eat today? Do we have to eat? I mean, just planning the meals in and of themselves is, is so exhausting. And there's three meals a day. It's ridiculous. Just over and over and over again, constantly feeding these people. It's exhausting. Maybe you can relate. Maybe there's something. My guess is every single one of us can identify places in our life where we are just completely exhausted. And no matter how much work we put into, whatever that task is, it never stops. Responding to emails, working with clients, answering phone calls, papers that have to be written, people who need to be cared for, houses that need to be built, buildings that need to be cleaned. The work just goes on and on and on. And maybe you are sitting here right now and these are the 30 minutes you have this whole week where you can just sit and receive. Maybe you are like so many other people in the Western world right now, completely exhausted. And if that's you, then the fourth commandment comes to you, it comes to us today as a gift from God. And it should be received by us this morning just like that, as a gift from God. As we consider what the fourth commandment says, the, the fourth commandment commands us to rest from our labor and to trust in our God. As we go through this this morning, this is essentially the big idea of the fourth commandment, that God is commanding us. Have you ever been commanded to take a nap? This is a gift from God, to rest from your labor and to trust in your God. As we look at this this morning, we'll see three, I'm going to look at sort of three different things. The first we'll consider is the principle of Sabbath rest. Secondly, we will consider the purpose of a Sabbath rest. And then thirdly, we will consider together the practice of a Sabbath rest. First is the principle. You know, years ago, or over the a number of years, we have taken kids um, to a camp down near Branson, Missouri. And the camp is filled like any good camp should be with lots and lots and lots of activity. I mean, this, this camp is like hyper-structured. There are so few breaks in the day. 
And uh, one of the unique things about this camp is we would go, we would sort of deposit kids and then there would be a, a, a time of just, they would call it a bubble bath in Jesus for all of the youth workers who are bringing the kids there. So for a week, we would just eat lots of good barbecue and just hang out and have a lot of fun and just rest. And I can remember, and every, but the worst time of our week, of my week, was like twice when we had to actually meet with our kids, okay? It was like painful, 45 minutes of corralling them in this world of just like wonderland and having to say, no, you got to stay right here. And, and what we would ask during that first, the first gathering, we would ask them a question like, how is it going? And, and it was such a change of pace for so many kids that they, that it just was really, really challenging for them. And the worst time at the beginning of the week would be, a lot of them would talk about this thing called FOB, which stood for flat on back. And for an hour, they would just lay flat on their back in their bunks, really to just give the counselors a break. But by the end of the week, as the activity would increase and they would just get just completely worn down, by the end of the week, what you would constantly see happening is that at the end of the week, that the best part, the part that they were looking forward to every single day was, you guessed it, F-O-B. They loved it because they were so wiped out. They were so exhausted. They were so in need of rest. As we consider the principle of the Sabbath rest, this is a precious gift from God to the people of God, a gift in which he invites us to stop from the relentless cycle of work and to trust in God by entering into his endless rest. And you see, as you look at the commandment, as you look down at the text, you will see that, that this is, there's a few things that stand out right away that are unique about this that we haven't seen so far. So far, this commandment is the longest one of all the 10. It's the one that, that requires the most ink. It's also the first commandment that, that doesn't start off in the negative sense. Do not. The other ones start off, do not. This one comes to us as a command to remember or to observe, it says, to observe the Sabbath. This idea of remembering is not just about calling to mind, remember the Sabbath. It's, yes, call it to mind, but also practice it. And in the word itself, Sabbath, it means essentially cease, to stop. And the, the commandment requires us to keep it holy, to, to set it apart from all of the other days. To, to keep it holy is when I think of, of holiness, I think of sort of in two realms. One is, is uh, it's special. It's a day, the text says, for the Lord. It's a special day. But, but holiness is more than, than being special. As God's people, we are to be a holy people. We are to be special. But holiness also means that we are to be strange. Some of us are really good at this. We're special to the Lord, but we're also strange to the world. We're strange to the world. If, if you were to consider just the context of when this commandment was initially given, there was no real precedent or parallel which would have influenced this pattern. Six days of work, one day of rest. This was a uniquely biblical concept. There were, there were no other cultures around that, that you could say they were pulling from to create this. This was uniquely given by God. And as you go throughout the Old Testament, you see that it kind of finds this principle, finds itself in sort of two different realms. The first is the Sabbath rest principle is rooted in creation. To really understand the Sabbath, you have to go all the way back to the creation of the world. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, we're told that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. From creation, God had established a pattern of working for a specified period of time and then resting. 
Long before God commanded his people to remember the Sabbath at Mount Sinai, we see the Sabbath principle at work from the beginning of the world. That's why in Exodus 20, in in the Decalogue, when this is initially given to Moses, um, God says, remember. He tells them to remember the Sabbath. And he wasn't calling it into existence, but rather reinforcing it and sort of institutionalizing it. In fact, in Exodus 20, this is precisely what Moses points to. God's rest at creation. Exodus 20, 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, as we consider the principle of Sabbath keeping, of resting, this gift from God, it it's, finds its, 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 its footing sort of all the way back in creation. But not just in creation, it also is rooted in God's redemptive purposes. Notice that this is where our passage differs from the one in Exodus chapter 20. Here in Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath principle is the same. The same principle. However, it's, it's rooted not in creation, but ultimately rooted in redemption. Look at the text. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So, so all the way from then, God's, see, God's Sabbath rest finds its, its, its rooting in God's creative purposes, but also in his redemptive purposes. And this is so critical, so important for us to keep in mind, especially as we walk through the Ten Commandments. The, it's so critical for us to remember that the law came not as a means for the for Israel's salvation, but rather as a result of their, their salvation. They, they were rescued by God first and then directed on how they are to live their life. Remember the first time when we opened up the series, it wasn't that God saw them in bondage, in Egypt, in slavery, and said, okay, I got a deal for you. Here's 10 commandments. You keep these then I will deliver you from this terrible situation. No, that's not how it worked. Rather, God saw them, he knew them, he heard their cry, and he delivered them. And the Ten Commandments came after that. They were to embrace this new way of life, and as they embraced it, they would show the world ultimately what a redeemed people looked like. Remember, this is the Sabbath is a holy day for the Lord, but it's also strange. It stands out when all the other cultures around them are, are working and slaving a way, so to speak. God's people take one day to rest and do nothing. That is strange. That's strange. It was strange then. Guess what? It's strange today. The Sabbath would become for God's people in the Old Testament a sign ultimately of their covenant with God, their creator, and their redeemer. A reminder built into the fabric of their very lives that would keep them from forgetting how God had made them and saved them from slavery. The idea was just like when they would see a rainbow in, in the sky and think about the promise to Noah. So the Sabbath was a constant reminder that God was a God who could be trusted. God was a God who redeemed them, who delivered them. God was a God who was able to do what all their work couldn't do. 
It was a sign for them. That's what the Sabbath meant in the Old Testament. Now, as if we consider just this principle in the New Testament, how does the Sabbath look in the New Testament? One might find themselves asking, does, does the Sabbath still exist? Does it still bear weight? Does it still need to be obeyed? And the answer is yes. But ultimately, Jesus redefines what Sabbath rest is. Jesus tells us himself he comes not to abolish the law in Matthew chapter 5, but rather to fulfill the law. And this is certainly true of the Sabbath. Not only did he come and to not abolish the law, but as you look and read Jesus in his life, you'll see that he also never violated the law. So Jesus himself was a Sabbath keeper. But in doing so, he created quite a stir. If you're familiar with how Jesus lived, you knew that he, he, he created a little bit of a stir wherever he went. And certainly this is the case as it relates to his Sabbath keeping. There's a story in Mark chapter 2 of Jesus and his disciples going through the grain fields. And the disciples pluck the heads of grain and the religious elite see this. And they see that Jesus permits this and doesn't rebuke them. And they've got a massive problem with that. They confront Jesus about that. How can your disciples do this on the Sabbath? And what is Jesus' response in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28? He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man himself is the Lord even of the Sabbath. We see as Jesus goes throughout his ministry, even in Mark chapter 3, shortly after that, he heals a man with a withered hand. And, and that created problems within his day as well. His healing on the Sabbath was an attack. He did this deliberately on those who were so obsessed with keeping the rules and expanding on the rules as a means ultimately for their justification. See, for the religious people, the religious elite of the day, the Sabbath was something they really, they really prized because it was something that could be seen. It was an outward expression the first couple of things that we talk about, the first couple of commandments are, are hard. if you're really keeping God first in your life, I mean, certainly there will be outward implications, but really that's an inward reality. When Jesus starts, when God's word starts to demand certain things like time from us, that's something that's objective, that's measurable, and that's visible. And so for the Pharisees, for the religious elite, that was an opportunity to showcase their spirituality right? And Jesus wanted none of it. Where they wanted to show off how they were law keepers, religious, Jesus wasn't having it. Instead, he recognized that they had no place in their heart for things like mercy and love. And for Jesus, Sabbath keeping was a day for doing good, not just a day of duty. Now, if you continue on throughout the New Testament, you see Paul, Paul provides us some guidance as well on how to, to consider the Sabbath. In Romans 14, 5, he says this, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. See, the, the early church really had to figure out how to make this work. How, what does the Sabbath mean for us? They had to figure it out. They, had, they, were, they, they were made up of Jews 
and Gentiles. Different traditions, different cultures. One that had a, a context for Sabbath, an understanding of Sabbath that they brought into that new, that new body of people. The other did not. The Sabbath was certainly one of those things that, that needed their attention. And, and ultimately what Paul's direction to them is, says that some will honor certain days among you. Others will choose not to. What's your responsibility? Well, he says, don't judge others for their view on how to treat certain days. It's not your responsibility to judge them. Some better, some right, some wrong. Colossians 2.16, he goes on and, and provides even more clarity. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in, in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They're, they're a shadow. In the Old Testament, they are a shadow, he says, of the things to come. The substance, ultimately, which belongs to Christ. They're like a sign pointing in a particular direction. Now, one of our favorite places to go to vacation is Yellowstone. And if you go in, there's multiple entrances into the park of Yellowstone. And at each entrance, there is a big sign that says something like, Yellowstone National Park, okay? It's a nice sign. I mean, it's a, it's a big sign. But what you'll see every time you come into these entrances as people are, are heading into the park is that there'll be parks, cars that will park. People will get out and they'll gather around the sign and they will take pictures, selfies, deuces up, Yellowstone. Now just imagine for a second, somebody traveling across the country Going into Yellowstone Park, stopping at a pretty normal-looking sign that says Yellowstone National Park, taking a picture, turning around, and leaving. You would say, they're a fool. They're a fool. The Yellowstone sign is wonderful. But ultimately, you don't experience Yellowstone until you head into the park. Until you picnic next to its running streams of water or gaze at the, the awesome waterfalls and spectacular mountains and the wildlife roaming throughout. That's what it is to experience Yellowstone. It's a sign. The sign is just pointing to what is ahead, what's awaiting you. Same is true of the Sabbath. The Mosaic sab Sabbath served as a precious gift from God to stop working and start trusting in God. And this principle finds its ultimate, ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who himself is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the substance. He's the real thing. Jesus provides for us a deeper, fuller meaning of the true Sabbath rest. That's why in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, he can say, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I, Jesus himself, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find, when you come to Jesus, what will you discover? The rest that you and I long for. The rest, ultimately, that you and I were made for. That's the true Sabbath. Jesus allows us to experience it, to know it. Secondly, that's the principle. Secondly, 
The other two points will go a little quicker, I promise. Secondly, what's considered together the purpose of Sabbath rest? Why does this need to be commanded, you might be asking yourself. There are some of us here today that do not need to be told twice to take a nap. There's some of us that are waiting for somebody to say, just relax. Why does this need to be commanded? What type of people need to have this enshrined in their law code? Well, let's consider that together. What type of people need to hear this? First is, the people ultimately, what type of people need to hear this? Well, the people who are designed for it need to hear it. In Genesis 1.27, we're told that God makes us, makes you and me in his image. We reflect his nature, his characteristics. We are made in God's image. We saw in Genesis 2.3 that God worked really hard six days, rested on the seventh. He, he was six days full of creative activity, one day full of rest. The appeal in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, God's rest is given as an example for us to follow. We are made in his image, and we are to follow our creator, to act like who we are. Secondly, this is a reminder for us that we are a limited. God is unlimited in his ability, right? You and me, as human beings, have limitations, whether you believe it or not. We are limited. We are a limited people. And this Sabbath rest is a reminder for all of us that as great as we think we are, we are limited. We're limited. It's a reminder that we all need. What type of people need to hear this? The type of people who are designed to experience it as we are created in God's image. What other kind of people need to hear this? Well, not just those who are designed to experience rest, but also those who are designed to give God's worship. Those who are designed explicitly with God's praise and glory in mind. This Sabbath facilitates our worship of God. Notice the text says that they were to, they were to keep the Sabbath day holy. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The time that God has given us is to be given back to God for him to use as he sees fits. This is, for us, an act of worship. By ceasing from our work, we are reminded that we are not defined primarily through our productivity or our consumption, for that matter. One Old Testament scholar put it like this. Sabbath provides a visible testimony that God is at the center of life. That human production and consumption take place in a world, in a world ordered, blessed, and restrained by the God of all creation. And our inability to rest and to stop from work is an indication that we are believing a lie, that, 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 that life is something that we can control. The more we work, the more we put in to get ahead in life, the better life will just become. It's just a, it's a simple equation. The, the harder we work, the more toys we get, the bigger the house, the better the lifestyle, the, the more secure we feel. The fourth commandment, as tempting as it is to trust in our ability, the fourth commandment forces us ultimately to trust in God whether we are working for the luxuries that this life may have to offer or for basic needs. Our work maybe is a matter of survival for some. 
The Sabbath reminds us that there is more to who we are than our jobs. Or what is in our bank account. Or what what package is on its way from Amazon to your front step today. We're more than that. And our life is not dependent on our ability to sort of put our nose down and grind it out. Rather, we are dependent on God's wonderful provision and his endless grace. By intentionally setting aside time for rest unto the Lord, we are reminding ourselves that God is the center of our life. And every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. We were designed to have God as the center of our life, and the Sabbath rest is a reminder of that. Finally, what kind of people need to hear this? Well, the kind of people who are designed to pass on God's blessing. See, the Sabbath was also meant for good. Look at the emphasis in the text. It's not just those practicing Sabbath, but also the the blessing doesn't just extend to those who are practicing the Sabbath, but also to their children. So it's not, okay, my chance to rest, so son, daughter, you guys can pick up the chores. Get out in the field and start plowing away. It's not how it worked. Rather, the whole society was to benefit from the institution of Sabbath rest. You see this in just the repetition. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates that your male servant or female servant may rest as well as you. The whole society was to benefit from the institution of a Sabbath rest. Now consider his audience for a second. Consider how what kind of good news this would be. These are people who for 400 years, do you know what their identity was? Making bricks. More and more and more. Work, work, work. That was their identity. And God, this news, this commandment to rest. Think, and think about it. They were being exploited, oppressed. This commandment ultimately would become not just a promise to them that they were not a people primarily marked by their work and and known for God's work, but it would also become sort of a protection that would keep them from doing the exact same thing to other people, oppressing, demanding work, but rather a built-in weekly regular schedule of giving their employees rest, a break, But the Sabbath, the whole world around them would keep the benefits of God's grace and mercy that he had demonstrated on Israel. They were memorialized, this grace, and they would demonstrate it ultimately to their neighbor. So the Sabbath, we see, sort of has this twin purpose. It, It both honors God and it benefits humanity. Those two things are not at odds with each other. As the people of God, we keep those two things together. As we seek to honor and glorify God, we do so for the benefit and the good of the world around us, whether they know it or not. So what does it look like to practice this? How are we to be a Sabbath-keeping people? How do you practice Sabbath rest? This is, I think, especially tricky in a culture, in a world that has sort of as its motto, keep up with the Joneses. That's what we're all after, right? This fast-paced, nonstop, get-left-out culture 
how do we practice this? You know, if you were to ask someone just casually today, maybe try it at a 4th of July barbecue. How are you doing? Odds are, you know, for every 10 people that you ask, one of the first things that will be out of, you know, I don't know how many, but some of their mouths will be, oh, I'm busy. We've, we've talked about this before. I'm busy. And I'm guilty of saying this to all. Oh, it's just life is crazy. It's busy, tired, exhausted. It's, it's busy, 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 busy. In many ways, it's true. Why do we respond like this? Well, I think one reason we respond like this is because I want to make sure that you don't ask anything from me, okay? How are you doing? I don't, want, I don't have time to hang out with you this week, so I'm busy. It's just kind of a preemptive, like, don't put me on your calendar. Don't ask to use my truck. I'm busy, okay? So that's one way, one reason. Another reason why we respond this way is because we are. Because we are. Because our calendars are packed. We're planning ahead constantly, and we have filled all of our free time with work, work, and more work. And the third reason why we respond to this, and I think this is even more terrifying than the previous one, is because there's something virtuous about this in our day and age. It's not just that we have filled our schedule with work and activity, but it's also that we have held that up as sort of a virtuous thing. It's the busy badge. And if I can show you my busy badge, then suddenly I'm important and meaningful to you. I'm important. I've got things going on. I'm full of activity. I'm busy. So how do we practice this? I mean, practicing Sabbath rest in that culture is a formal act of resistance. It is. So we better be good practitioners. How do we do it? Well, the first is this. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. The final way that you, or sorry, the first primary way that you practice the fourth commandment is to trust in the finished work of Christ. And there's this thing that happens, this sort of consequence, this equation that if you don't trust, you won't rest. No trust equals no rest. Anybody who's taken their uh, kid who's trying to get a driver's license out on the road, Imagine yourself taking a nap while they're behind the wheel. It ain't gonna happen because you're terrified. You don't trust that person, right? They don't know what they're doing. You can't rest in that situation. Well, the same is true with God. God has shown himself over and over and over again to be trustworthy. And, and we have the ability to rest in him because he's a trustworthy God. He can be trusted. We should trust in him. Since creation, there was a rest that God wanted his people to know. But because of their sin, because of our sin, some have never experienced true rest. Rather than trusting in God, we are tempted to trust in our own efforts, our own accomplishments, our own accolades. Justified, we think, in our own works. I don't know about you, but that lifestyle to me sounds exhausting. And it is. It is. The author of Hebrews draws a remarkable analogy between the gospel of free grace and the Sabbath. In chapter 4, he writes and says this, There remains then a rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God rested from his. When we find salvation through Christ by his grace, we rest from the most debilitating work of all. The work of establishing our own worth through our efforts. The work of earning, ultimately, our own salvation. But God has graciously given rest to his people. We discover that ultimate rest in Christ. 
who invites us to come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you that rest. The number one way you can practice rest right now today is by placing your trust, placing your trust in the God who worked for your salvation so you don't have to. Come to Jesus, rest in him. Secondly, for those of us who may be a follower of Jesus, once you are finding your trust and rest in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to befriend silence. Befriend silence. Silence, prayer, solitude, reading of scripture, contemplation are all vital ways that the people of God remain deeply rooted in God. Trusting in him for his grace, for our salvation alone. Become a friend. And this is, this is again, this is, this is countercultural. Become a friend to silence. We have, just like we want to fill our schedules, we have a temptation to fill our ears with noise. Everywhere we go, whether it's a jog, a walk, or in the car, we want to turn on the radio, listen to a podcast. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's helpful, great, wonderful things about that. In fact, sometimes that can be a way to rest. But it can become so foreign to us to just have silence. Become a friend to silence. To remain rooted in God and resting and trusting in him. Fight for it. Thirdly, I would suggest is that you pursue friendships. The comedian John Mulaney um, actually attributes this to one of Jesus' greatest miracles. What is one of Jesus' greatest miracles, according to John Mulaney? The fact that, that uh, in his 30s, Jesus had some 12 friends. 12 close friends in his 30s, that's a miracle. And some of you know what I'm talking about. We live and are experiencing a loneliness epidemic, and all that COVID has done is sort of exasperated that. We are irreducibly relational creatures made in God's image. Whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, we all are in need of both the affirmation and sense of being that comes from close bonds and relational ties with one another. And, and oftentimes the reason why we push away Sabbath or rest or inactivity is because we don't have anybody to spend our inactivity with, our time with. Friendships, form friendships is so critical, so critical for us. I think of specifically here at Parkview and um, when I think of the ways that the women have done this over the past year, I've just seen so many different places where the women have come together to, for the sake of forming friendships and, and developing and continuing friendships and building community. And, and in many ways, the, the women are out ahead of us in how to do that. So if you're here today and you're thinking, boy, I don't have any friends. Ladies, I would really encourage you to reach out to Andrea Gaston. She's the women's director here at Parkview, and she would love nothing more than to get you connected with the women in this church as an opportunity to form those friendships. I think this is especially vital and critical for men as well, and I think men actually suffer more so from this. Um, and so it's very uncommon for men in our day and age to not have friends, to not spend time with their friends. This, let it not be of Parkview Church. Let us be a, a church that links arms together, that fights for our rest, that enjoys spending time together. You're gonna hear at the end here about an opportunity coming up on the 15th to, we're doing a men's breakfast. We'd love, if you're thinking to yourself, how do I find a, a friend at church? If you're a guy, come to the men's breakfast. More details to come. And finally, one way to practice this is um, 
what the early Christians have done is basically inherited the tradition of of setting aside a day for the Lord for the sake of gathering together for, for prayer and fellowship and instruction in the word and the, and the Jewish tradition that would have been on Saturday well because of the, the resurrection the early church moved that to Sunday and that was the day that they set aside for the Lord's day and we're commanded in the Bible not to neglect this day the Lord's day to set aside a day for the sake of connecting with the God who's invited you into his rest who is rest that's what our day is today and, and one of the reasons why it's so important for us is because just like throughout the Ten Commandments, it's just in our commandment this morning, that we are reminded of God by coming together to worship. We're reminded of what God has done for us, his gospel, his grace, his deliverance, his salvation. And when we come together as his people, we celebrate that. We remember that. We are formed by that. Sunday morning is a formative hour of your week where the songs that we sing, the message that we hear, the, the sacraments that are performed in this room are formative in nature. And they build into us these patterns, these habits of resting and celebrating. And so this morning, we're gonna do, we're gonna bring this to a close right now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Many of you, as you came in, there was a table out there and if you need elements, I think there might be somebody who has some that can Put some in your hand if you raise it. There's Trisha right there. If you just raise your hand if you need some of the elements. And I would invite you to take them out. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna remember right now ultimately how this rest was achieved in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this is for the body of Christ. If you're a member of follower of Jesus here, we would invite you to participate in this. We recognize that our rest that, that Jesus achieved for us on our behalf, our rest came at a price. And ultimately, that price was Jesus' life. And so communion is a time to remember and to celebrate what Jesus accomplished on the cross so that we could enter into his rest and be a Sabbath-keeping people. So if you get your elements ready, go ahead and take out um, your bread. I'll, I'll read a passage and then we'll, we'll take this together. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, this is Christ's body that was given for you. Let's take in remembrance of him. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, this is Christ's blood spilled for you. Let's take and drink. Father God, Lord, we come together today as your people, and uh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Sabbath. Lord, as a, as a sign pointing towards, ultimately, how your son would fulfill and deepen the meaning of the Sabbath, Lord, and 
I pray that we would be a people who would embrace and receive that gift, Lord, and that we would be um, not just the people who keep the Sabbath, but are people who are kept by the Sabbath. We love you, and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. What wonderful good news that we serve a God who has graciously given us rest in him. So, just as Doug said, we need to constantly, daily, be putting our trust, putting our faith in him and him alone. We do that through prayer. We do that through all of these, these this, this interacting with community that we talked about. We express our dependence on him. So this last song we're going to sing is a response to that, that we are going to come before the Lord and bring daily and bring our need to him. We're going to, sit, we're going to proclaim, I rest in you, abide with me. And so, uh, will you stand and let's let's sing, proclaim these wonderful truths as we as we move out from this place into our week. Until our trials 
here at Parkview. Uh, what an awesome message we heard this morning from Pastor Doug on the Sabbath. Taking a day to just rest and focus on connecting with Jesus can be so life-giving. If you have never attempted a Sabbath, I encourage you to take a day this week and just try it out. It may just change your life. I have one important announcement to make for the guys in the room. As Doug mentioned earlier, we're having a men's breakfast a week from Thursday on July 15th at 6.30 in the morning, and I hope to see you all there. I realize this is an early start, but what better way to start your day than with good food and even better fellowship with brothers in Christ. Uh, please look for the weekly Parkview email for more information on how to register for that event if you are interested. Now, before we go, let me leave you with these words from Scripture in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.